Hi, you're listening to Once Upon a Podcast, and we are your hosts. My name is Chandler. And I'm Sarah. And today we're going to talk about a very beloved book, I'm sure for both of our childhoods and most people's, because it's wonderful. And that book is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Sarah, do you remember when you first read this book or The Chronicles of Narnia? Oh, goodness. Um... It's one of those books that I just I, – it's I've been around it for so long. Well, it's been mm-hmm. around for a very long time, and then <laughs> I grew up around it that I don't actually remember when I first read it. Yeah. Um, I, I can't even remember if my mom read it out loud to us before I read it on my own. It's just one of those things that I've kind of always known. Yeah. Um, it's just always been a part of your childhood. Yeah. It kind of was just always a part of my childhood. Um. I, I have distinct memories of, of the when the movie came out of Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. Yes. And listening to the audio drama. But, well, we can talk about mm. those later down the Yeah, down the we should. Uh, yeah, I am kind of in a similar place where I remember reading it for, like, an English class in middle school. But I'm pretty sure that I had read the whole series before. Because um, I, I feel like that was my second time reading it was in middle school. But yeah, definitely always just been a part of my childhood and definitely remember the Disney movie. And there was even another, like this really terrible BBC series that we watched a little bit after, I think it was BBC. I remember my sister and I watching it after I read the book. So I must have been pretty young. Anyway, just awful. It was a really bad series. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I definitely read the the line the witch in the wardrobe first and it was a long time before i read other books in the series actually mm. um i didn't even know i do remember finding out that there was a book that came before it and being just appalled i was like <laughs> what? what oh what so that's an interesting that? question and this is something i fight with some people in my family about is the question of reading the books in the publication order or the chronological order do you have a strong opinion oh wait i didn't realize they were Oh gosh, did I know this? Ooh, this might be oh, a, there's a quite piece an of argument. Trivia. <laughs> I did not realize. I what order were they published in? Because oh no, oh, Line the Witch and the Wardrobe came out first. Yes, definitely. And then Prince Caspian, and then the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and then I think the Horse and His Boy, or maybe the Silver Chair. Okay. Um, I should look that up. But oh. I I grew up reading it in publication order with Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is the first. Yeah, so Don Trader, Silver Chair, Hostness Boy, Magician's Nephew, and then, of course, The Last Battle. Oh. Um, yeah, which that's Whoa. really important to me. I mean, on a second reading, I could see how it could be definitely interesting to read them in chronological order, but I think you should read them in the order in which they're meant to be read. Uh, whoa very passionate wow <laughs> yeah. mm, gosh not this is, I, this is my off-the-cuff opinion i <laughs> i like reading them in chronological order personally because i like mm-hmm. the, the narrative um so i i would probably be more of a proponent for that but give me your arguments on why what's kind of your main reason for reading them in publication order well i mean i think that was just it was intentional that they came out in that order. And I think it's kind of neat to explore Narnia first through the eyes of the Pevensies and then to jump around and see more of the history of it. And then to conclude that with the last battle. Um, I think that just really sort of adds to the wonder of Narnia and just kind of discovering it in this out of order way. But Mm. I I do think there's value in reading it in the chronological excuse me, in a chronological order, 
on the second reading which maybe I should go back and do because it's been too long since I've read these books. But Yeah, same. I Well, my personal favorite actually is not The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So, Which I, is your favorite? I love Horse and His Boy. Mm, okay, we'll have to talk about that one sometime. Far my favorite, yeah. But so <laughs> really? We, oh my gosh, yeah. That's that's definitely my top. My I think one of my favorite parts about it, okay, this isn't a discussion about this book, but I'm going to put this out there anyway. <laughs> one of my favorite okay. parts about it is that somebody pointed, I think my mom pointed this out to me, it's not a boy and his horse it's a horse and his boy oh yeah i like that so anyway that's neither here nor there <laughs> that's neat all right we'll get to that later <laughs> why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about the history of the author so clive staples lewis or c.s lewis was born on november 29th 1898 he was a british writer and theologian known for his non-fiction works such as mere christianity and the four loves and for his fiction including the screw tape letters and of course the chronicles of narnia Lewis attended Oxford University, where he studied literature and classic philosophy, and went on to teach there. He became a member of the literary group known as the Inklings, made up mainly of academics from Oxford, including J.R.R. Tolkien, author of Lord of the Rings. At meetings, the men would often read aloud from their unfinished works, which included Lord of the Rings and Lewis's Out of the Silent Planet. Although Lewis was raised in a Christian home, he began calling himself an atheist as a teenager though he would later say that he was, quote, angry with God for not existing. Literature by George MacDonald and G.K. Chesterton and the influence of his friend J.R.R. Tolkien helped Lewis come to believe in God. He eventually became a Christian and joined the Anglican Church. He died on November 22, 1963, at the age of 64. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is the first book in the Chronicles of Narnia series, of course, in publication, not in chrono chronology, and was published in 1950. <laughs> Lewis wrote an essay titled, It All Began with a Picture, in which he wrote, quote, The lion all began with a picture of a fawn carrying an umbrella and parcels in a snowy wood. This picture had been in my mind since I was about 16. Then one day, when I was about 40, I said to myself, let's try and make a story about it. The book begins with a really beautiful dedication to his goddaughter, Lucy Barfield, which I think tells us a lot about Lewis's views on fairy tales. It begins, My dear Lucy, I wrote this story for you. But when I began it, I had not realized that girls grow quicker than books. As a result, you are already too old for fairy tales, and by the time it is printed and bound, you will be older still. But someday, you will be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. You can then take it down from some upper shelf, dust it, and tell me what you think of it. I shall probably be too deaf to hear and too old to understand a word you say, but I shall still be your affectionate godfather. I love that. In the essay I mentioned before, it all began with a picture. Lewis also writes, quote, At first, I had very little idea how the story would go, but then suddenly Aslan came bounding into it. I think I had been having a good many dreams of lions about that time. Apart from that, I don't know where the lion came from or why he came, but once he was there, he pulled the whole story together. And soon he pulled the six other Narnian stories in after him. Of course, each of the books in the Narnia series is well-loved today. Very much so. I think one thing that I really love about it is the way it starts with the wardrobe in this just very ordinary object that the youngest of these four Pevensey children, right, Lucy, just opens this wardrobe and runs inside of it, and suddenly she's just in this snowy forest in this perfectly ordinary thing, suddenly just transported into this very different land. Um, and it's this really magical and wonderful scene. It is. It really is. And I love that Lewis takes these simple, everyday sort of objects and 
transforms them or or helps us to use our imaginations in a way. Yeah. Just things that you see every single day. I mean, even within the land of Narnia, Mm -hmm. things like having tea or... I mean, take take your pick. There's a whole range of of different things that are just kind right. of mixed together. You're like, oh, I see that every day. Right. Yeah. I always think of the lamppost in particular. Oh, exactly. Um, of just being this kind of marking place of how to get back through the wardrobe, but also just this. It's a little bit weird that it's in a forest. Yes. <laughs> it's eternally winter, but it's a perfectly ordinary lamppost. Other than that, although I kind of vaguely remember later in the series we learned about how the lamppost came to be. Yes. Um, but see, if you read it chronologically, then you would. Uh... <laughs> you're right. Sorry, earlier in the magician's earlier nephew. Earlier in the magician's nephew. <laughs> or yes, you're right. <laughs> it's a fabulous origin story. <laughs> it is, and that's kind of. I just remember for me reading it in the proper order, discovering later. Oh, that's how the lamppost came to be there. That's so cool. I don't know. I thought it was more exciting that way, but I'm sure there are arguments both ways. Um, <laughs> I I love that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just saying. I had never heard. I don't think I'd ever heard that there was an argument about this, so I, I'm glad to be Well, enlightened. now you know. <laughs> um, I was just going to say, I love that quote that Lewis had about the fawn carrying the umbrella and the parcels in the snowy wood, because, of course, the first person Lucy meets when she goes into Narnia is Mr. Tumnus, the fawn, um, who's a really interesting character. He is a very interesting character, and uh, <laughs> I, not to jump too quickly into, like, the movie setting of things <laughs> no, because I'm definitely more of the you have to read the book before you watch the movie kind of a person. I agree yes that is true um but I always felt that uh James McAvoy or however you say his last name they something like that cast yeah. him very well for that that oh role. yeah um and uh it just it was very fitting so yeah yes I love this just kind of proper British fawn that finds this little girl this daughter of Eve right and brings her into his home but even I think even better than the movie, going jumping back to the book, is the yeah, yeah, yeah. charming drawings. Um, yes. I'm trying to remember the illustrations that I love the most. I think it's the original. It, was it? A, I think it was originally illust, uh, illustrated originally. So um, hmm. I'd have to uh, do some research on that. Yeah, that makes sense, though. I'm flipping through the book right now, and there's this really cute one of Mr. Tumnus and Lucy, and he's holding her umbrella, uh, his umbrella over her and carrying his parcels and wearing his scarf, and they're just walking through the snowy woods. It's oh, very it's sweet. so, so charming. But then, oh, can you still hear me? Sorry. Yep. Okay, my phone just did something weird. Um, okay, three, two, one. But then it's interesting. So Lucy goes back and she gets her siblings, right? Susan, Edmund, and Peter. And Edmund has a very different experience his first time in Narnia. Huh. Very, very different. <laughs> he, he literally takes a, a different path. He does not right. meet anyone. Right. Well, no. He, so he and Lucy both meet people after they have entered this, yes. this strange new world. Takes them a little bit. But they, they both take these very different paths. And uh, and uh, Edmund is a little more unfortunate, but it is fitting for the kind of state of mind that he is in. It, it makes sense with the kind of place that he is, where he is at the at this moment in time, and mm-hmm. kind of his his personal development or, or lack thereof. And, uh, he meets the uh, White Witch. Yes, such an interesting villainous character who's of course declared herself the Queen of Narnia and is responsible for the eternal winter. 
Um, but yeah, you're right. No, Edmund definitely has a very different motivation. And I think we see that because Lucy walks in just curious and so wonderstruck and wanting to figure out what this place is. And Edmund is definitely, uh, when he has this conversation with the uh, White Witch, definitely just more interested in his own self-interest um, and what kind of what she can do for him in the sense of, of course, the, uh, the Turkish delight. Um, but he, he's convinced to betray his siblings to her. Exactly. Well, and we don't find out right away that the, the White Witch is, is uh, evil, Right. But you do kind of get a sense. I think that's the mark of a, a good writer. You you never want to be – there needs to be an element of surprise in stories, but you should never be wondering, especially in children's stories, who the good guy and who the bad guy is. It's one of my many issues with the, the movie Frozen. But. I, I was just thinking about Frozen when you said uh-huh. that. <laughs> yes. Many, many issues with that terrible movie. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, but no, I do like the idea of it's kind of, yeah, like you said, it's clear who the good guy and the bad guy is. And I think in a lot of ways that is important for kids. Um, and you're right. We don't see her as this very evil person, but more this ominous person right from the beginning. Oh, very ominous. There's there's always, with the with the bad guy, there comes these warning signs. And uh, mm-hmm. you, you see this all very... Uh, clearly they come out with the with the white witch and in her interactions and the, the types of questions that she asks of of edmund so it's yes like, and even saying don't tell your siblings about me warning right? this is this is yeah exactly like you're you're very clever and i just i don't want to bother with them and i just like you and yeah no absolutely huge mm, red flag yeah light should be yeah. flashing siren should uh-huh. be going off <laughs> this is not good yep nope 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 <laughs> but, uh, yes yeah, so um, let's see. So the the four of them eventually, right, come into Narnia and um, discover that Mr. Chumnus has betrayed them, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's just crushing. It's so sad because Lucy is just one of the most charming characters, book characters that yes. anyone will, you'll ever meet. Um, oh, yeah, Absolutely. And she's just so disappointed because she's made a friend. I mean, she's in that kind of beauty, that that childhood innocence, and uh... especially as the youngest, I think. Oh, that's exactly. important that she came out, and it was her own journey, her own exploration, and she finds this friend, and he turns on her because he's afraid. Exactly. It's oh, that the lesson in in fear. It's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, just that he was motivated to do something that he knew he shouldn't do because he was so afraid for himself. Exactly. But it was not totally his fault because there was someone else to blame, but we don't find that out till later. Right. All right, Taylor, let's outline the characters that kind of the main characters that make up this book that people should really focus on. So the, the most important, kind of the central character. Well, okay. The central, central character would be <laughs> Aslan, but the kind of the first, which who we'll talk about soon, but kind of the first character that most people gravitate towards is the youngest of these four children that we meet right away, and that's Lucy mm-hmm. Pevensey. Yeah, and Lucy, of course, um, as we said, is the first to discover Narnia, and I think really does um, represent this kind of childhood innocence in that. 
unlike and then of course oh sorry what were you saying oh no go right ahead um of course her three siblings right so the oldest being peter pevensey um who i think is very protective of his siblings especially because one thing we didn't mention is they're actually from london but they're sent out right they have to evacuate because of the second world war so i think that leads to peter feeling a real uh, a really strong sense of responsibility for his siblings exactly exactly and uh, same with susan so they the, mm-hmm. the kids since there's four of them they kind of divide a bit into like they're all close but they divide into the two older and the two younger i always felt like um, yeah and uh so susan pevensey is the next oldest she's kind of like the mom figure the mother mm-hmm. figure in the in the group and but she she tends to take this role a bit too much to heart throughout the stories yes and she's always um sort of discouraging lucy and definitely very skeptical that narnia even exists yes much too practical very practical (laughs) and then the last of course is edmund who we talked about um who i think is one of the reasons he's so kind of attracted to what this white witch offers him is that I don't know, maybe he just feels lost in, you know, with the four siblings and kind of has to find a way to sort of push out of that, right? And find a way to make himself feel special and clever. Exactly. And I think there's a sense of instability because of the war and he's, mm-hmm. he's feeling that sense of loss and he, and uh, very powerless. And I think he yes. desperately wants some kind of stability and, and control, um, which he he gravitates towards because it seems like the white witch another very important character has control yes. which she sort of does she yeah let's talk about that <laughs> so the white witch is the the villain in this story as mm-hmm. many of our listeners may know if you don't she is <laughs> and uh, she she makes an appearance in the first book chronologically speaking magician's <laughs> nephew right and uh, she has a grip a very icy grip on the lo- on the whole land of Narnia. It's always winter there, but never Christmas. Which is yes, just inc- so sad, incredibly depressing. <laughs> yes, but she and she's in charge. She has this kind of Big Brother sense over top of all of Narnia. She has mm-hmm. spies everywhere. Yes, she knows everything, and everyone lives in in terrible fear. Yeah, she's incredibly powerful and um, knows, yeah, everything that's going on because of her spies and um, has ruled for 100 years, I think. She's just kept this eternal winter and appointed herself the Queen of Narnia. Exactly. However, the children's coming, as we find out from some minor but lovely characters, the beavers. Yes, very lovely. (laughs) Are fulfilling this prophecy, which entails the white queen being or the white witch being defeated Mm -hmm. she calls herself queen she's not actually queen but and the only way that she can be defeated is if our main and central character comes to rescue the land yes so that is of course aslan and we mentioned a little bit in that quote from lewis how he um had this sort of vision of aslan bounding in right as this central character and the rightful ruler aslan is of course a lion very powerful lion who everyone um at least the good characters right the the pevensies learn from the beavers everyone both really respects and admires but definitely fears him 
um, right? Because there's still this sense of, of his wildness, even in his benevolence. Exactly. He's, he is wild, but he is very good. Yes, that's the line. Yeah. Which is uh, the story of Narnia is uh, very allegorical, if I'm mm-hmm. remembering correctly. So there's lots and lots of uh, scholarship on this, which is really fascinating. Yeah, a lot of good stuff to read. Yeah. So those are kind of our, well, and then, oh, and then um, the first character that we, that Lucy meets when she, cause she's the first one that goes into that. She, she finds Narnia in the first place. It's the first yes. one to enter. And the first character that she meets is a fawn named Mr. Yes, Tumnus. Yes, Mr. Tumnus. <laughs> so I, he's kind of like a middling character. I wouldn't call, I don't, I don't want to call him a minor character, but. No. He's, um. A very endearing character. He is, and his role is basically to welcome Lucy into Narnia. And right, I mean, she walks through this wardrobe and discovers this snowy woods on the other side. And one of the first things she sees is this fawn just walking around, <sighs> holding some packages and an umbrella. Um, and I think that even even more than the fact that Narnia exists in a wardrobe adds to the the magic and the wonder of Narnia. Exactly. Very, very true. Yeah. So are there any other characters that we should cover? I think those are the really important ones. I'm glad you mentioned the beavers because <laughs> they're fun, even if they're not the most central characters. No, they're very lovely. I, I really yes. appreciate them. Yeah, me too. So we want to talk about some themes in the book. And this is a this is a story that has just, oh my goodness, it has grabbed the imagination of people all over the world for mm-hmm. decades now. So this book has been discussed and the themes have been discussed and uh, for a long time in many different ways and if all, all different angles. So I don't want to go too much into that. But <laughs> There's a lot we could say. <laughs> no, there's so much we could say. But just to give our listeners a taste of the, the beauty and the importance of this book as something to go back and reread, even if you've read it before, it it bears a bears reading again. Yeah, I think it's I think it has the mark of so many great books and that it gets better upon rereading it. I would uh, definitely agree with that. You, and yeah. I think many books are like that. It's the mark of a, a truly a classic book and a good book is especially mm-hmm. of a children's book. If you can read it when you're younger and gain something from it. And then when you read it when you're older, you can gain something completely new from it or get yes. another perspective on what you uh, perceived when you were younger at, mm-hmm. or what you saw when you were younger. I think that mm-hmm. is the mark of a truly wonderful and uh, long-lasting story. I think so too. Um, and one thing that has kind of struck me that I think I was sort of aware of as a kid but has struck me now more upon reflecting on it was just this idea that Narnia has existed for so long and there's this deep magic and even this prophecy and for Lucy in particular but all of her siblings to just sort of wander in almost by accident and find out that this whole place has existed and there's so much going on and even there's knowledge that the four of them would come just really kind of speaks to this idea of um, jumping into learning I feel like and realizing that there is so much that has gone on before you and will go on after you. And you may, like the Pevensies, have a role to play in that, but it's just kind of overwhelming in a really beautiful way to see there is just so much that has happened before you got here. Exactly. It it broadens your understanding of the world and your relationship to 
uh, everything in it, even if it's a completely different world that you, you didn't know mm-hmm. about before. Right. Yeah. This kind of great conversation that's been going on that you can jump into. And I think that's wonderful that the, the Pevensies just jump in and they learn more about the magic and the history of Narnia. And eventually, of course, we as the readers, there's so there's more books. Exactly. <laughs> and we learn more about it, too. Exactly. And there's a lot of self-discovery, I think, within the, the story as well. So you're learning about the, the characters learn about, um, I think that that point you made is, is really, really true. And uh, they learn about this whole other world and, and their relationship to it. But they also grow mm-hmm. as as um, people, as human beings, and uh develop and their their moral characters develop as yeah the stories go on which I always found really interesting yeah absolutely and I mean they kind of start out as these lost and bickering children but by the end they are the kings and queens of Narnia right exactly got really really strong family themes in it yeah absolutely which is uh really beautiful I think one of the uh, themes that I love kind of with your one that you mentioned earlier um, is that that theme of learning is the the theme of wonder and mm. just marveling at the the beauties around them and there are marvels and, and things that you wouldn't see in, in just walking around London mm-hmm. or around Kansas or something wherever you are so there's definitely strange and, and marvelous things but also just the beauty of of nature, of things that we do see every day, but you see them in a kind of a different light. And yeah. 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 Which I think is kind of neat. You go through this wardrobe and it's all these, like these ordinary things, the lamppost or um, various things you might see in Mr. Thomas's house. Even the idea of having tea is just put in this totally new context when you have these wonderful creatures and these talking animals and the magic there in Narnia. Exactly. Exactly. Did you have another theme that you wanted to bring up that kind of spoke to you? Well, I mean, I think we definitely have to talk about Aslan, right? The king of Narnia and his sacrifice, um, which this, of course, from the Christian interpretation is really powerful. And I think a, a lot of people see that parallel and that Aslan comes, right? He's the rightful king and he returns to this land and he ends up giving his own life over to allowing the white witch to kill him in order to save everyone else. Exactly. But of course, that's not the end of the story, right? He, he, he comes back to life, which is amazing. Exactly. And it's, again, it's that allegory that we see mm-hmm. um, played out in the uh, redemption story and the resurrection story that we have. Um, yeah, which I think is really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, but it told in a, in a really... It just, and maybe it's just because it's part of our kind of our collective consciousness because it's been around mm-hmm. for so long. But it doesn't. I feel like it. De- it never detracted from the the, the our beautiful original uh, redemption story. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It gave us a, a different. I hate to use the phrase "gave us a different perspective" again, but <laughs> for lack of a better phrase, <laughs> no, I know what you're new saying. To it. Yeah, kind of a new way of understanding it. Um, I think especially to me as a kid, the idea of being wild but very, very good was something I hadn't really thought about in the context of like a god, right, or a Mm -hmm. um, character like that of just this sort of this nature that you really can't understand. You just know that it's good, right? Exactly. And I think we really see that um, 
when Lucy watches Aslan die, right? I mean, through her eyes, just this idea of how could you let this happen? This is terrible, this sense of not understanding, but it does turn out to be something very, very good. Exactly. Well, and to find out the uh, rest of the story... Yes, everyone should read it. Everyone should read it. If you <laughs> literally, you could read this in an afternoon, just sitting down. Oh, it's very and, short. Yeah, very short. But uh, excellent. You could you could read the entire series in a week. You totally could. Yeah, I think it's six books or seven books. I, there's se- I'm I sure there's seven. seven books. Yeah. Oh, you could totally. Yeah, seven yeah. afternoons. You're right. There's seven. Yeah. I think I saw something about the other six, and I forgot to add the one. <laughs> so yeah, seven. <laughs> yes, yes. There's great debate over. Well, apparently over the uh, order that you can read them in. So you, <laughs> could, is, yes. you could take two weeks. You could read them chronologically, and then you could go back and read them in in publication order. Or the other way around. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. One, one, one week for one way and one week for another. That sounds great. I think I might do that. <laughs> <sighs> Same. Very, very we should good. talk a little bit about – so you mentioned that you grew up listening to the audiobooks. Yes. So – Focus on the Family does a fabulous job. So if anybody has heard of Adventures in Odyssey, big yes. shout out for me for Adventures in Odyssey. <laughs> Just, big fans. Oh my gosh. Best. So Focus on the Family does really um, does a really phenomenal job with their um, audio dramas. So audiobooks and audio dramas, it took me a long time to figure out that they're actually two different things. So mm-hmm. audiobooks is just someone reading the book um, on well, for audio and it's really great. But audio drama, you can take the stories and um, kind of do more with them. You, you dramatize it. You kind of tweak it a little bit. You don't. You're not changing what the author was saying. But right, and you, it's different actors, right? Yep, it's all different actors. You've got sound effects, and and it's a very, um, I think oral experience is the word mm. I'm, I'm looking for here. Yeah. So, it's oh, it's fabulous! It's, oh, I love that. And theirs is just state of the art. is so well done. Um, they have all these different actors. They do. It's a massive set because they do all seven books. Oh wow! Yeah, and they adapt it for adapt. That's the word I'm looking for. They adapt mm. it all for radio. That's really I really assume good. they cut out kind of the you know this character said this, this character said that. Yes, I haven't listened. Okay, I was that was kind of my impression of like the things that were changed from mm-hmm. the book itself, which makes sense because you wouldn't you wouldn't need that in a movie or something. So exactly, well, they have. Yeah. It's very interesting because they have a narrator who mm-hmm. who kind of keeps the story going, and then the children and other characters within the story have conversations with each other, the things that they would say in the book that they take out. He said, he said, she said kind of stuff. That makes sense. So it just really cool. It flows. It flows very well. And this, and actually there's a kind of a third way that you could do audio drama, which is how Brian Jakes did it, where you just read the book straight through and, but you have, you still have different actors for each of the Mm, different mm -hmm. characters. So that's just a, a different way that you can do it. Yeah, but, that's uh, really neat. Yeah, it's really, really fantastic. But uh, so, have you seen the the movie? Yes, love the movie. I love all three of the movies, but I think the first one is definitely the best. Oh, by far. Yeah, big fan. I've seen it many times. <laughs> Same. My mom is particularly partial to the uh, the scene where the professor is like, "You, your family, you should start acting like one." Yes. Yeah. My mom always. <laughs> stands up and cheers she's like yes i agree <laughs> that sounds like a mom thing to do <laughs> Agreed. my mom always quotes the when the professor is like he's talking about logic and he's like 
what do they teach in school these days? And I think she would try to like quote that at my sister and I if we were being illogical, <laughs> which is an absurd thing for a homeschool mom to say, but she would right. say it. Say it anyway. it, it, <laughs> I don't know, mom, what are you teaching me in school these days? Exactly. <laughs> it fits. It fits. Though. Yeah. yeah just take yeah, the quote. Uh-huh. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Okay. I am curious. What recipe did you pick out for us this week? So this is a dreadful shout out on my part. No, it's not dreadful. I love this <laughs> that show. Dreadful. No, okay. it's not dreadful. I am incredibly partial to the Great British Baking Show. And I thought, well, it's, it's, a, it's a British book. So yeah, we're it's gonna, a great book. So it works. It's it, this is going to go. So I'm very partial to the Great British Baking Show, which is just wonderful. They're on season six that they've put on Netflix. So I'm totally plugging this show shamelessly <laughs> here, um, and it's just really enjoyable to watch. And because I get so frustrated with American uh, American Food Network shows, they're just mm. so competitive and whatever. I much prefer watching this one because it's actually a little more slow paced they are longer episodes and blah 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 so they're very very good and i really like them so one of my favorite recipes is just the simplest recipe and almost every season they have some version of this on there the victoria sponge or no it's a victoria sandwich and you make this um it's a victoria sponge cake so it's two basically think of it as like a yellow cake and there's a round and you take you make two of them and then, or you make one kind of larger one and cut it in half. And mm-hmm. then you make your own strawberry jam, which is Ooh. really fun to do. Yeah, Very that fun. sounds fun. You just boil, you literally just boil strawberries and sugar together. And then you make your own um, uh, cream to go with it. Mm-hmm. It is so good. I made it for an event that I had, that my family hosted over Christmas. It was gone in no time. Because you make the that cake. That sounds from, amazing. Yeah, you make the cake from scratch and everything mm-hmm. is so good. Ooh. Yeah. Very, very good. So I would highly recommend that. We'll put a, a link to the. So one of the judges for the show is Mary Berry. And uh, we'll put a link That's to a great her name. recipe. Yes. <laughs> good plan. But uh, yes. So that is my recipe for the week. Chandler. I like that. Yeah, so I had two albums that I recommend listening to either to remind you of the book or while reading it, um, because the first was so obvious and so good that it felt like cheating, which is, of course, the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe soundtrack from the 2005 movie, because it's a really good soundtrack. Oh, it's so um, good. <laughs> you should definitely listen to that anytime, but certainly while reading the book. Um, and then, of course, I have to give a plug to a song from the Prince Caspian soundtrack, which is The Call by Regina Spector. And it's just one of the most beautiful songs ever. So you should also listen to that one. Uh, but yeah, the soundtrack is so good. And it captures the spirit of the story so well. Um, but another one that is less cheating is um, called My Head is an Animal. And it's by the band of Monsters and Men. And I was definitely really into this album when it came out in 2011. And I haven't listened to it a ton since, but it kind of struck me when I was thinking about these themes of nature, of adventure and exploration, and then of royalty, right? Which this whole album is about. Um, So there's one song, King and Lionheart, and the lyrics, some of the lyrics are, howling ghosts, they reappear in mountains that are stacked with fear, but you're a king and I'm a lionheart. And in the sea that's painted black, creatures lurk below the deck, but you're a king and I'm a lionheart. Um, Lionheart, of course, always reminds me of Aslan, but then 
the creatures lurking below the deck also seems very Voyage of the Dawn Fetter. <laughs> yes. So this works <laughs> for the series overall. Um, and then there's another song called Dirty Paws, which is about a battle between the bees and the birds are fighting and the birds enlist the help of all the forest animals. Um, if you substitute queen bee in the song for white witch, I think it works. Um, so it goes, so for a while, things were cold. They were scared down in their holes. The forest that once was green was colored black by those killing machines or colored white, I suppose. But she and her furry friends took down the queen bee and her men. And that's how the story goes. The story of the beast with those four dirty paws. Um, and I think just this, kind of battle within nature and these creatures and the woodland scene uh, has always reminded me of that book. Yes. Oh man. I really like that. That suggestion. I think it That's fits. a fun one. I think it fits very, very well. I think so. <laughs> Good. Well, do we have anything else we would like to add for our listeners about this wonderful book? I, I don't think so. I think you should read all of the books and then read them again in a different order and then watch the movies. And don't watch that terrible BBC series. No, please don't. <laughs> please don't. And then if you're going on a 20-hour car ride, go and uh, invest in the wonderful audiobooks from Fox yeah, do on that. Family. Yes, you can never have too much Narnia, I think. No, never. never, never. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for listening and thank you, Sarah. And thank you so much, Chandler. And we'd like to thank D Yankee for our intro and outro music, Driving Home. <laughs>